we all have our stories and they need to be heard and shared and that we are all the same in some way, shape or form. We are human beings having a human experience. It can be hard. Hello and welcome back to the 100th episode of the Gravity Podcast. After two plus long years now for so many reasons, we've reached triple digits on a social experiment that for me has been equal parts illuminating, educational, inspiring, and honestly, a little bit of, a little bit of effort, some hard work along the way. As my own personal creative challenge and, and artistic outlet, this has been really an incredible experience to curate and to prepare for and to uh, be a part of these interviews, interviews which when looked at as a collection of knowledge, of human knowledge and experience, it's one that I'm proud of um, and I'm excited to continue to build on. I hope you, the listener, share similar feelings and have taken even one piece of insight or encouragement from this show to do something, but something that's, you know, maybe a hard conversation or to meet a goal or to set a goal or to be more curious and understanding of the world and the people around you. Um, I've always been a big believer in just trying to be a part of a shift and um, maybe just it's a little shift, maybe it's a big one, but anything that that we can do that this show might have done to help you shift is certainly something that we aspire to do. And so to celebrate this milestone, we've put together a special compilation episode, which brings together a handful of my favorite stories and lessons from the past year. Wasn't easy. Each and every guest has been gracious and oftentimes revealed parts of their lives and careers that they've never talked about, sharing their wisdom with me and you, the audience. So we all can benefit and grow as a community. So, uh, you know, that's been probably one of the things that's been most surprising and, and pleasurable for me is that oftentimes off the air when, when the guests will say, I've never, I've never shared that before, or thank you, that was um, very cathartic or helpful for, for the guests too. So um, anyway, it's all working together and I thank you for being a big part of it. So without further ado, here is the Gravity's Best of 2021. My friend, coach, and mentor Chet Scott returned in 2021 for a second go-around on the show, episode number 82. This time we went deeper into his work at Built to Lead and how he approaches his life with continued intentionality and um you know, spoke really in detail about a, a life-changing event for Chet that I was um, really honored to have him share uh, on the podcast with me in particular. It was a conversation I wished would never end. But um, this nugget in particular, I thought would be a great intro to this episode into the year as we narrow our focus in 2022 and, and um, really decide how we want to show up in it. The hardest job of any human is becoming who they are. We're the only animal on this planet 
that has that kind of an identity crisis, every other animal just instinctively becomes who they are. You know, a a lion pup becomes a, an adolescent lion and then an adult lion. And it never wishes that it were a tiger. At least from what we've studied on them, they're very satisfied. They just, they don't, uh, that lion does not wish it were a, a vegan. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It knows it's a carnivore. Mm-hmm. And its instincts tell us that's how it survives. Humans, on the other hand, we have the ability to be any number of things. So we come in and we have to discover, like, what are our strengths? What are our gifts? And how do we best become the you we're designed to be? And we have an entire world trying to tell us who to be, who to become, and why that's who we got to be. It starts early with our family and then with peer pressure from, I just, just was in a practice with one of your teams and talking about dealing with a lot of their identity crisis started in middle school with people telling them who they ought to be and it wasn't who they felt they were and who they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So we have this tension as humans within us that then leads to tension with others because we haven't taken the time to figure out who we are so we can then accept people who are different from who we are mm. and learn how to become a team with people that are very, everybody's unique. And um, so we help people build their core, we call it, which is figuring out through reflection, time alone, writing, figuring out, you know, what are your deepest held beliefs and where do they come from? And what are your true identities? The names you call you, not the names people called you. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the names you call you? Like I call you an athlete. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what I call Brett. It matters, does Brett accept that he's an athlete? Because he is, as well as many other things. You know, and so we help our clients name themselves in a very, in a very positive way. Because yeah. we tend to hold on to some of the names we've been called that weren't edifying. Mm-hmm. So identity is the second thing. And then principles, like what are the values that mean the most to you? And once you've worked on that, we call that your whip, your work in process. Those are the first three elements to your core. Then we work on what are your passions? What do you love? What gives you juice? And what are the core purposes, the big whys for why you think you're here and why you want to go there? As kids, we're programmed to ask that very question. Why this? Why that? Why does the sun shine? Why can't I spend the night down the street? Why can't I eat hot dogs for breakfast? And we deem that habit be silly or something to grow out of. But one thing I've noticed in these 100 episodes is that we all still ask why. In one form or another, purpose is a common theme and it comes in many shapes and sizes. Joe DeLoss, founder of Hot Chicken Takeover, is a highly regarded marketer and brand builder, but he was forced to ask himself why things in his life were both falling apart and taking off at the same time. Doing the work to find the answers in himself, he goes on to describe the newfound spirituality he's found in his self-care and meditation routines in nurturing his relationships and in focusing on angles of his business that bring him and the world around him the most benefit. Hint, it's not money. If that's not finding your why, then what is? You become a, a, a real popular kind of story in this city. And mm-hmm. um, the accolades come, the awards come, the PR comes. Maybe you can just you know, speak a little 
to that as you kind of start to segue into what happens spiritually? Yeah, I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head and, and clearly, you know, know me well. Um, but yeah, so it was, I, I mean, I, I had earned some press and attention pre-Hot Chicken for other projects. And, and so I think, I think there was a little bit of, you know, I, people, people knew I could um, create good press. They knew I could speak well about our business and all those things. And so it really catapulted quickly. Um, when hot chicken started taking off, and and uh, you know it was it was a story of a scrappy entrepreneur that's easy to romance, and somebody that's working hard, that's um, you know taking risk, um, that's building something from you know the the story headline is kind of like building something from nothing to something, and and there's validity to that, but also like you know think about this arc I shared about all the the resources and the access and and the competencies I built, you know, for me, it was just, this was, you know, at that point, kind of the pinnacle of all the experience that I've had and all the access and resources I had. We did get a, we, we got a ton of attention. You know, we had people, um, not just locally, but, you know, nationally, it was a compelling story. And, and we were just ahead of the hot chicken trend. We were just ahead of this broader discussion around social entrepreneurship, equity, everything. And, and so we just became a, a darling, you know, or I became a darling to tell that story. And I didn't say no to anything, Brett. I took every last bit of it. And, and so it, it was, you know, people even locally knew that they could throw me on the news and it would be a, a, a good story. So yeah, I, I definitely took advantage of that. It definitely boosted our business in a phenomenal way too. From a personal perspective alongside that journey, I am a few years into marriage. I'm uh, uh, you know, very recently into fatherhood. And all I knew how to do was get, a, get kind of my identity and my fulfillment out of external resources. And so whether it's press or attention, um, you know, I wasn't showing up present. I wasn't present at home. I didn't, I didn't know what that meant either, you know. Um, but, I, you know, I have... I, I, most folks in my life, from the business and in my personal life, became kind of cogs in my wheel, like in the Joe show of um, how I was going to feel fulfilled and happy. And, you know, you don't realize those things until it all starts imploding. And and at some point, I don't have any more resources to give. I am creating separation and resistance between my family, between people that work for me. I, I can't keep the wheels on anymore, and I can't hold up the persona anymore. You know, it, it's not an unfamiliar story. It's an entrepreneur that thinks too much of himself. If you're new to the show, don't let the guest list of CEOs and entrepreneurs fool you. Gravity is intended to be much more than just a business podcast. As demonstrated in this deeply philosophical exchange I enjoyed with Howard Getson, CEO of Capital Logics, who in episode 65 described love and its place in the world in a way that sounded very familiar to me. I don't want to get too foo-foo on you. I mean, I do run an AI uh, hedge fund, so there, there's very little foo-foo externally. But internally, uh, I believe that loving is the primary energy on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that's a weird statement, 
But if one you I also it, fully agree with, so you're okay. But but if you if you see a dog, you want to pet it. If there's a baby, it's like ah. Oh. Um, and when you meet somebody, uh, I met I met my wife uh, April sixteenth, two thousand and four, and it was uh, like love at first meeting. By the end of that first weekend, I knew my life had changed. And uh, I, I still remember, you know, we met in Bali, Indonesia. I had just given a speech there and she was the president of uh, EO Indonesia. And uh, n- not to go into too much detail, but I had a, a suite at the Ritz we were overlooking um, a cliff, looking onto the ocean, sunsets happening. And uh, I... I got a little bit misty and she looked at me and was like, what's going on? And I said, I just realized that the natural energy in the universe is loving. And everything else, the fear, the greed, the resentment, the scar tissue is an artifact that we bring to it. But it's not real. You're actually articulating my deepest held belief. You know that that love really, at the end of the day, is, um, you know, it's the same thing as God. I think that's what God is. It's an energy, right? And it's perfect and loving. And that what happens is we add our um, stories and rackets and. And, and and actually, you know, coming back to the childhood piece, you know, it, you're, I believe you're born pure. That baby energy is this perfect, godly, loving energy. And then what happens is life. And, you know, that's, you know, parental influence, societal influence, good, bad, or otherwise. And we start to add layers to it and live into those layers, mostly unconsciously. Um, so, until there's some sort of moment, awakening, hopefully that has you start to return to that energy and live in a way that is truly aligned with your your natural way of being. The idea in bringing community and industry leaders onto the show is to, yes, of course, pick their brains about business, building, and tricks of the trade. But even more so, we're interested in what got them there, the people, places, and experiences that shape them into a person capable of such achievements personal and professional. Almost always what we find behind the curtain reveals a person not too dissimilar from you and me or anyone else that faced challenge in this complicated world of ours. In some cases, these shared challenges are traumatic or painful, like the cancer and resulting treatment that Jeff Krasno, CEO of Commune, faced as a 13-year-old abroad. Sometimes, though, they manifest themselves as a different kind of painful, like this then embarrassing and now pretty damn funny tale of playground embarrassment that he shared in episode 73. May we all have the grace Jeff shows in being able to laugh at the crash landings in his past. I was moving every six months, six to 12 months, to another city or town. Um, so there were no there was no opportunity to establish any roots, and uh, I was also quite chubby, borderline corpulent um, kid, having to learn a new language every 
year. So, um, so I became quite fluent in karaoke and, um, and you know, have quite vivid memories about the my playground experiences uh, at the American School. I have you know a, a couple stories that I've, I've told, which I'm happy to to retell. Um, that were particularly um, emblematic or symbolic and somewhat scarring. Um, yeah, sure, sure. Give us, give us a good one. Yeah, so there was um, the playground dynamic had its hierarchy, and of course, that's true anywhere on any playground. Um, and certainly in 1975 at the American School uh, in Rio, uh, there was a prominent playground hierarchy. And there was sort of a ringleader who was named Babito, and he was Portuguese. And uh, he was, you know, really your stereotypical playground bully in every facet. Um, and he took great pleasure in, in torturing me on the regular for generally for my weight, but for any kind of perceived efficiency. So there was one um, really fun ritual and pastime that happened on the playground where there was a the, there was an area that sloped down and kids would line up and you know when it was their turn they'd run toward the slope and launch themselves up in the air such that they landed on their butt and like skidded down this embankment until it leveled out again. And, you know, over time, as more and more kids did this, there was sort of a, a track or a, a almost um, a, a pathway that then got worn down and the grass kind of got, got, you know, taken out. And it was this kind of like muddy dirt, um, almost like ski slope that, that emerged. And I assiduously avoided this this pastime because my body wasn't really meant for launching up in the air too much. Um, but on one particular day, I I got some, uh, I had an extra dose of gumption, and I queued up, uh, you know, and kind of sturdied myself. And uh, and so you know, I approached the slope, and I you know. I did my thing. I got going as quickly as I could and I launched myself up and sure enough there I landed on my butt and it certainly wasn't going to receive uh you know three t- three tens from the from the gallery but you know I made it down the hill mm-hmm. and uh and you know to a couple of cries of americano americano you know like whatever <laughs> like, like people couldn't believe I'd done it. Uh-huh. So so this was a you know a big moment in on the playground for me because you know you know I'd finally mustered the confidence to to get myself you know to join the rest of the group in in what was an activity that repeated itself so you know came back up the hill and you know with vigor and brimming with confidence got back in the line and you know then it was my turn again and there I went and you know this time with a little bit of extra vim and launched myself up and landed. And as soon as I landed, I heard a sound that was that essentially eclipsed all other 
perceivable phenomena, <laughs> which was the unmistakable um, sound of ripping jeans. And my jeans that were already sort of chafed around the thighs, to be honest, um, had split down the seam of my ass. And as I had gone down the hill, my tidy whities accrued a dirt stain that just kind of streaked down the middle. And I got to the bottom of the hill. And of course, everybody noticed. Everyone was aware. And, uh, and Babito, in unmistakable English, says, starts to scream this refrain that got repeated for basically the rest of the year, which was, the American shat his pants. The American wow. shat his pants. <laughs> and uh, oh my God. And there I was at the bottom of the hill with nowhere to hide and um, just feeling, you know, absolutely sort of the distillation of embarrassment and shame. And I sort of uh, shimmied my way back up the hill in, in such a way that limited the amount of angle <laughs> that people could have to, you know, my, my quote unquote shit stained underwear and, uh, um, and moseyed shamefully into the nurse's office and, you know, feigned illness. My mom dutifully uh, came in and picked me up. And yeah. as I was kind of going off and getting into the car, the, you know, the, the refrain piped up again, you know, the American shat his pants. And, and so, you know, that's the story. And, you know, I actually haven't really told it that many times. It's actually enjoyable to, to tell it, but, um, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, with stories and I'm sure you've, you've confronted this reality over the course of, of hearing so many, um, you know the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves uh, that that gird kind of our sense of identity. You know they deserve additional probing. Dan Solomon is a good friend and mindset coach of mine, and the CEO at Strategic Coach. And he joined me for episode eighty nine just a couple of months ago. And really, the entire conversation is packed with takeaway wisdom that anyone could benefit from, as well as some untold stories from his youth and early career. Dan's a deep well of personal and professional knowledge. I definitely recommend checking out this episode when you have some spare time. It's one of my favorites. And in this segment, he describes the foundational themes of his latest book, The Gap and the Gain, measuring progress backward, not forward, and repositioning your basis for comparison. The pursuit of happiness is an activity, but it's not a reward. Okay, so uh, so I will draw a picture, and you know I've got a square, and in the lower left-hand corner I've got a small circle, in the upper right-hand corner I've got a big circle, and then I have a straight line with an arrow uh, connecting the two circles. And I said, now in the small, the small circle, write the word here, H E. RE and in the big circle, uh, right, uh, the word bigger, bigger type right there, T H E R E. And I said, How many of you, this is a snap photo of any time in your life that you're here and you're trying to get there? 
airbags. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, um, so if you keep doing this, try, you're here and trying to get there for 50 years, um, will you be there? I said, no. What you'll have is a really strong habit of always being here, but not being there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I said, so this is how pursuit of happiness, happiness is up in the upper right-hand corner. And this is where you are. You're not happy, but you know, when you get to there, you'll be happy, except your habit is never getting there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the big thing is that progress that you can be happy with has to be measured backwards. You cannot measure progress forward. You can only measure progress backward. Mm-hmm. And it's a skill that's not learned. Mm-hmm. It's not a skill that's learned. And because, you know, as a child, you're motivated. You know, if you do this and this and this, mm-hmm. boy, then, mm-hmm. you, then, then you'll really be happy. Your parents are, if I do this, that don't mm-hmm. be really. As soon as I get them all out of the, out of the house, I'm going to be happy. <laughs> you, know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, hope, mm-hmm. hope I don't have to visit them in prison. <laughs> That'll make me mm-hmm. happy and everything. But it doesn't because happiness is not a destination. Happiness is a daily experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what I realized that the fundamental skill that's the basis of all happiness is just what you do on a daily basis. And so at the end, uh, so I'm just going to give you what the activity is that I found really snaps people into the right way of measuring their progress and being happy is that at the end of every day, before you go to sleep, you say, what were my three wins for the day? Three things that mm-hmm. um, when I look at them, these really moved me forward. Okay, you get those. Mm-hmm. Then you say, now, as I look at tomorrow, what are three more things that are kind of like that, but even bigger and better? And what happens with a person who does that, they stop comparing themselves to other people. They mm-hmm. stop comparing themselves to images in the movies. They stop comparing mm-hmm. themselves to advert- commercials and advertisements. They, mm-hmm. st- they stop listening to social media mm-hmm. they, because they have their own basis for comparison and you are your only basis for comparison. It's who you were this morning and you've improved on it by this evening. Okay. This is human. I'm not talking about entrepreneurs here. This is just being a human being. Every human being has a day to work with. You know, it's one thing that every human being gets every day. They get a, a day to live and it's either a winning day or a losing day. And there, there is no neutral day. Mm-hmm. If, if your day wasn't a winning day, and that's conscious on your part, it's probably going to be a losing day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think it's um, people really don't take enough uh, of this always measure backward really seriously. You know, it, it can kind of sound like, I don't know, you know, this kind of thing that maybe you do to make yourself feel better. But, but really, the, the gap where you're measuring forward and you're never there is a really almost like a disease mindset that really inhibits you from being what you're capable of being or having the experience. I should say it's probably not even being uh, capable of being something else. That's maybe even measuring forward. It's the experience of being happy. Yep. It, it is, and, and really, if that's what we're after, then you know this is really important. 
We talk about gravity being a community, and it is, both in a literal sense, where I'm sitting right now, and in a digital, virtual, and global sense, connecting through wellness initiatives, philanthropic projects, and the podcast. But gravity isn't me, Brett. It's a community. It's held together by voices, a voice, and and maybe, you know, mine is a part of that, but it's made strong by a diversity of thinking, by diversity of experience, and by strength in numbers. Jordan Reeves, my guest for episode 70, lives this by amplifying the voices of LGBTQ plus people across the country through their current platform, Video Out. Jordan's own story, of course, forms the basis of their work. At 18, all of this just has compounded and I'm feeling like I want to kill myself. I have two options. I'm like, okay, I can either like pour myself into the church and just like ignore the fact that I am queer or I can once and for all admit it to myself and do something about it and see what happens. I was petrified. If anybody found out, my life would be over. My family would forsake me. My church friends would disown me. I would have to stop teaching Sunday school. I would, you know, all of these things that were my life would essentially disappear. So I logged on anonymously to Craigslist and I met up with a guy back when you could do personal ads on Craigslist. And it was dangerous. You know, I went to a stranger's house with the expectation that I was coming over for a a sexual experience. And I had no idea who this person was. So I show up and they invite me into their home. And I see on their walls and on their bookshelves, the same things that were in my home. There was like crosses as decoration. And there were worship books on the bookshelf. And there were like the seven different translations of the Bible. So like, it felt like me and this person were on the same page. We both knew what was happening. So after that experience, it was horrible, by the way, um, because I didn't know anything. No one had taken the time to... like LGBTQ sex education does not exist. So I injured myself. It was painful. And layered on top of all of the bullying and the the self-consciousness and the, the fact that I already wanted to kill myself, having this experience that went so terribly wrong, I was like, well, what the heck? Like, who am I? If if this isn't who I am, like, what's happening? Um, So I'm driving back. um, I actually don't know where I'm driving. And I start weeping as I'm driving. I I drove this like pickup truck and I pull off on, I had to pull off on the side of the interstate because I'm heaving for breath. Um, I call my mentor. And at the time, that was the, the youth pastor at the church that I had attended growing up. And I say to my mentor, I've done something that God will never forgive. So there's no point in living any longer. And my mentor said, listen, if you've ever had a relationship with God, you're going to be just fine. So why don't you go out to the field? And the field was this 20-acre plot of land that the church had bought. They were going to build a new building. Anyway, I went out to this field and he said, throw rocks at God. Just get it all out. Like, tell him how you're feeling. So I went out and I start throwing rocks at God. And I didn't know why. I like it that seemed really silly to me that I would, you know, this 
peon on earth would be throwing rocks at God, who at that time I believed to be this ultimate superior being. And as I'm throwing rocks at God, I mean, my shoulder is hurting. I'm throwing rocks so long. And I have no more tears left in my eyes. I like my, I'm exhausted and I just collapse and I start laughing. I think that maybe it was my body's defense mechanism. I start laughing. And for the very first time, I say two things to myself. Um, I say them out loud, but I'm in the middle of the forest in rural Alabama, so no one's there to hear. But I say, I'm a homosexual. It's the only word I had for it. And I say, and I don't believe in God. And that was a, a huge moment for me. Like, I, then I started laughing at the fact that I was throwing rocks at something that I didn't really think was there. Now that was, that's unlocked something for me. One, it allowed me to accept myself. An Olympic qualifying track and field athlete, my guest for episode 71, used to be known for clearing hurdles. As the first female president of the Columbus Urban League, a charity organization working to empower the disenfranchised and at-risk populations in our city, Stephanie Hightower is there to make sure everyone else can get over them too. I was with a group of, of uh, J.P. Morgan Tra- Chase leaders last week, and <clears throat> they asked me the same thing. And so I'll say for like employers, and especially small and medium-sized business employers, if, if you if you have uh, people of color in your organizations, you need to create opportunities and spaces for them to be their authentic selves. Um, um, and what I mean by that is so that they don't have to feel like they have to come to work and they have to code switch. You know, I'm a mm. there's this TikTok piece on there now that has this black woman who she comes in the door and she's like, hey, what's up? So and so. And then her Latina brother, she's like, she's screaming. And then she gets to the water cooler, right? Uh-huh. And, and she immediately cold switches with her white colleague. And she's like, oh, good morning. How are you uh-huh. today? Uh-huh. Um, did you have fun at this weekend that you're whatever? And yeah. her whole demeanor and her whole voice changed mm-hmm. and, and whatever. And mm-hmm. so it was like the authentic, something about the authentic code switching. So how, yeah. do, how, do, how do leaders in their companies how do you begin to have that conversation about the need uh, for your employees? I don't care if it's two, I don't care if it's 10, that mm-hmm. they can come to work and be their authentic selves and not be penalized for it. And do you create do you create avenues or forums or conversational areas to have that kind of dialogue? I think mm-hmm. that's really, really important because yeah. then what it does is it gives you an opportunity in those employees or people who don't know where to start it gives you an opportunity to learn a little bit more about that person or maybe their experience so that when you do go out and maybe want to try to do something, you have a different mindset or thought process about maybe why you why you want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, come to organizations like the Urban League and other organizations that are mission led by Black people or deal with Black kids and Black families and come and, come and do some volunteering. Real volunteering, and I, this is not to knock anybody who's been working, but you know when you go once a year and go and serve chicken or dinner for Thanksgiving, it's a little bit different if you come and do that 
and go sit down at their tables and you have dinner with those people and have mm-hmm. a real conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Not just mm-hmm. I'm standing behind the table and I'm passing you out the food. And right. I'm, I'm volunteering. Look at me. Yeah. Checkbox. Yeah. You know. yeah. Post yeah. it on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. Get in there and do the work and really get to know somebody Absolutely. that's in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Come down yeah. to a, a shelter and really stay. I'm not staying, stay the night, but work with them in the shelter like the people do to, you know, as their as intake. So you'll mm-hmm. know what that person's challenge have been. If they've been somebody that's been, you know, part of domestic violence or if mm-hmm. they get their, you know, if they've just got evicted and they got a clo- a, a car full of clothes or if their kids are, you know, they've been sleeping in a car for, you know, a two or three months and you have a real conversation with them and you got to get them, you know, navigate the system. As I enjoyed a professional sabbatical, I'm catching up on reading and learning and exploring a new twist on another favorite interest of mine, art. This time it's through NFTs to be Exact. I'm always curious about what's next. And I can tell you the metaverse and NFTs and Web3, it's certainly got my attention. And it reminds me of another memorable exchange I had involving art that I shared with Mark Goulston in episode 87, another very meaningful episode for me personally. After detailing the emotional journey that he took to his own realization, he describes how he came to characterize the work of Michelangelo in his mindset coaching today. I got a letter from the, uh, the dean of the school. And I think the dean of the school was worried that I might hurt myself. I read the letter and it said, I met with Mr. Goulston. Uh, we talked about other careers, and I'm advising the promotions committee that he be asked to withdraw. And I said, what does this mean? And the dean of students said, you've been kicked out. Hmm. And, uh, and I kind of caved over. It was like a gunshot wound to the stomach. And I know what that's like because I had a perforated colon that I almost died from about 12 years ago. And I just kind of caved in and I felt something wet on my cheeks and I thought I was bleeding from my eyes. This gets a little bit weird. Mm -hmm. And I touch my cheekbones and it's tears. And so imagine the upbringing I came from. You're only worth what you can do in life. Mm -hmm. At that point, I didn't feel like I could do much. Imagine hearing this. I don't know if you have ever had the feeling that People's love and approval is tied to your accomplishment, but it's not an unusual dynamic. And so he says to me, Mark, you didn't mess up, but you are messed up. Mm-hmm. Meaning I was passing everything. He said, but, uh, uh, but if you get uh, unmessed up, I think the school would be glad they gave you a second chance. So he's talking against the dean of the school. Mm-hmm. And I start to then cry from the compassion and the understanding. And then he says, and even if you don't get unmessed up, even if you don't become a doctor, even if you don't do anything with the rest of your life, I would be proud to know you. And I'm, my eyes are just pouring. Mm-hmm. And he said, because you have a streak of goodness in you that we don't grade in medical school, we should. 
And you have no idea how much the world needs that goodness. And you're not going to know it till you're 35, but you have to make it till you're 35. And then he said, look at me, because I was looking away and I was crying. He said, look at me, but you have to make it till you're 35. He points his finger at me and he says, and you deserve to be on this planet and you're going to let me help you. If he had said to me, uh, if I can help you, give me a call, I would have gone back to my apartment. I'm not confident that I'd be here today. Mm -hmm. So he grabbed me by the nape of the neck. He stood up to the promotions committee that he was part of. And then I met with them. And I guess they saw something in me that he did. And they gave me a a second leave of absence. Mm -hmm. Uh, But why? I I just want to connect that to what I'm doing presently because uh, everything's come full circle. In the last year, I started a company called Michelangelo Mindset. And what Michelangelo Mindset stands for is teaching people to see the angel in the marble and set it free. That's what mm-hmm. Michelangelo did. Mm-hmm. So I've created courses for uh, a, an accelerator of startups. And I teach them to think like Michelangelo. Inside your investors is someone who wants to give you money. Inside your customers and clients is someone who wants to buy from you. Inside talent you want to attract is someone who wants to work for you. You have to see it clearly what they really, really want and set it free. Mm -hmm. But why it's come full circle. And I didn't realize this when I started Michelangelo Mindset. I was, the dean of students was Michelangelo and I was the David in my Mm -hmm. future. Because what happened is I finished medical school. I went to UCLA, trained in psychiatry. One of my mentors was the pioneer in the study of suicide prevention. And for 25 years, I focused on suicide prevention and none of my patients died by suicide. And all I did was pay it forward. Mark's ability to overcome circumstance fits into another theme that I've discovered in two plus years we've produced this show. In most cases, a person either endures trauma early on, as Mark described, and they manage to repurpose and rededicate that energy for good, or a person recalls only love and affection, unconditional loving childhoods in their early years that form the experience and is influenced to give the same, if not more, back into the world. At the end of the day, we all take different paths, but most of us end up going in the same direction. Maggie Cook's journey, detailed in episode 52, takes her from a crowded orphanage in Mexico to the shelves of Whole Foods as a successful entrepreneur. She lays the foundation of that evolution with this vivid description of her childhood. Just imagine yourself living in a compound in a third world country in an orphanage, basically, with uh, over 200 kids at the same time living there in dorms and then having 68 brothers and sisters that all, um, you know, were adopted. And I'm, I'm one of the kids that were adopted and then just growing up with in a, such a, an environment with poverty and lots of, uh, trauma that we experienced and, you know, hunger, being hungry for two to three weeks at a time, 
And then just being creative and, and trying to survive and trying to do things to to feel better. I mean, I, I as a result, I became a hunter. I was hunting prey with my brothers out of trees at night with nets and spotlights. And we use knives. As a matter of fact, I still have my original knife I used to hunt with. Wow. This thing wow. right here. Well, okay, let me let me just hop in for a second. Yes. Tell me, tell me the ages that we're talking about that you're actually in the orphanage. Oh gosh. I mean, we had kids that came in. At, we had we had a, a mother that gave birth to a baby. Uh, and I was I was 11 years old and um, Mark, my caregiver, he was a doctor. He put me as the baby catcher, which was the horrible experience. Oh my for gosh! Me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, and, and I guess I meant you know your age. So you you were from from zero to right how, to right. how old? How old were you when you uh, left the orphanage? Eighteen. The rest of Maggie's story takes more emotional twists and turns than you can imagine. But I want to bring it back around with an excerpt from later in the episode where she describes how. Homeless at the time, one good day, one good person, and one especially good batch of fresh salsa changed everything for her. And then one day, my there's a lot of hills in West Virginia. And I, I uh, was going up a hill and my engine blew up. There's fire coming out of the front hood. And I just picked up my bags and started walking. And I lived for a little while between the streets and the woods. But I didn't really know I was homeless because I lived in the woods in Mexico. And that's how I grew up until somebody found me on the street because I was walking by with my bags and they said, what are you doing? Uh, I can't believe you're homeless. Let me get you a place to stay. And this was one of the cooks at the University of Charleston. And she got me a, a dorm for the rest of the time that, that, they were, that, were, that they were able to because the school was out. And uh, during that time, when I came out of homelessness, well, when I was homeless, I came to the realization that I was actually okay. I didn't have anything to worry about. I didn't have bills. I didn't have car. I didn't have anything but just me and all that is. So I had a sense of peace. And I think when that sense of peace came through, everything started happening to me, mm. for me. Wow. And, wow. Um, and a couple of uh, weeks later, some friends that I had from college entered me into a salsa contest for the whole state of West Virginia. Wow. Something that I didn't even know about. You didn't even know they were doing it? No. Yeah. And I, I went to that contest and it was Mexican themed and everybody came in. There, I think there was 15 contestants and everybody brought their uh, cooked jarred salsas. And I brought a pico de gallo, fresh or salsa. Pulled the competition out of the water. I won by a unanimous vote, first place. And everybody was at my table. Where do you sell this stuff? Where can we get it? And I'm like... Uh, I didn't even know what to say because I was homeless. Well, I just came out of homelessness and I didn't have any money. And at that competition, there was a man that was dressed in a suit and he kept looking at me. That energy when somebody's really looking at you piercingly, yeah. you can feel them. He came uh, towards me after the people kind of died down. And he said, I, I can see something in you. I see that you have a fire and a passion because you really love this stuff. And I've been seeing you. I'm going to do something for you. He said, I'm going to give you something with one condition that someday when you're able to, you can pay it forward. And I was like, what is this man's about to do? Like, I have no idea who he is. Mm -hmm. And he pulled out his wallet and he gave me $800. Mm -hmm. And that's how I started Maggie Salsa. Wow. Who was he? I have no idea. You still I don't know. No, 
idea. Oh my gosh, wow. My conversation with Maggie is a perfect example of someone finding light in the darkness. And while painful to hear about, even in this format, these experiences are important for us to absorb as part of our understanding of one another. This point was brought home in earnest through a conversation I shared with Katie Smith, a courageously strong woman and Columbus journalist in episode 57. After detailing her own experience with severe abuse and violence, she remains dedicated to sharing her story for the benefit of others. And that's what this show is all about. I have to tell you, uh, it's hard to really pick a favorite episode, but my episode with Katie is probably, probably not probably, it is my favorite episode. It was the most sincere, authentic voice really sharing vulnerably and openly that I've ever experienced on this show. It really moved me. And I know it's meant a lot to Katie and to many others. And I hope you can find as much benefit out of that episode as I have. When someone violates your family and your loved one's body, it's like they violate my body. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like they did that to me. It's terrible. It's been 20 years, you know, and this is like not something I t- like talk about because I never want to see the look on people's faces that I'm hurting them by telling them, you know, the pain people experience upon hearing this story is hard for me to see. But and also I never wanted to be treated differently. And I don't know. I don't know if you meet people in your life who are like always talking about the terrible things that have happened to them and they sort of carry it like this. And I never wanted to be that person. I wanted to go forward and um, try to help people, um, which is what um, brings me a lot of joy in life to help others um, and and just kind of have it not be about me, which is, again, right? That's my whole career. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, this is a really important piece. You know, there is this balance of wanting to move forward, right? And, and create your life in the way that you want it to be and also to use your life to create from instead of having it um, you know, really hold you back or hold you down, um, limit you. But, but you know, there's some real stuff that's happening here. I mean, like as real as it gets, you know, the, the abuse, the, um, the, the, the murder, the the you know challenge of 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 having parents separate your autistic brother I mean Katie these are things that you know I certainly um, don't look at you in the way that I think maybe you f- would fear people looking at you that there's some sort of um, I don't know like you know sadness or pity or something right that you don't want I I look at you right now as you share this as like incredibly courageous, really strong, um, and beautiful. And, and so, you know, I see this as just, um, not only all of those things, but also really important for other people to hear and not, not to, not to dwell, but, but to make sure there is some space for what happened to, to have a voice. Uh, and and so you know, I, I, you look again. There are other people in any area in, in a wide spectrum of suffering, of of trauma, 
uh, that, you know, I think your story, and, and we can talk about what you've chosen to do with it, um, and we can move forward, right? But I, I think what you've shared so far is really important for, for others to hear. Um, and, and maybe important for you to acknowledge and, and create, you know, real space to allow to have, you know, been true for you. Yeah. And to share it and to, um, I'm hoping to write about it. Um, you know, I'm a writer. I need to write about it. Um, and I want to do that this year. I'm hoping that coming and having this conversation with you is in a way, a way of holding myself accountable to myself. This is why I'm doing this podcast is because we all have a story. I said it in the, in the speech, you know, we all have our stories and they need to be heard and shared and that we are all the same in some way, shape or form. We are human beings having a human experience. It can be hard. It can be challenging. It can be shared and supported and it can be used to create. All right. Well, that puts a bow on the episode and on last year, 2021. I know this is coming to you in the first month of 22, but I am uh, still on sabbatical and we will get back to all new episodes here very soon. I'm super excited about what's to come. Uh, I want to send a special thanks to all of my guests from 2021 and invite you, the listener, to tip me off to people whose stories might be of benefit to our audience. Please, please send me your recommendations. Send me your, your friends, anyone you're interested in, people you have connections with that you think would be a perfect fit for us. You can listen to all of the nearly 50 new episodes from 2021 by typing Gravity or Brett Kaufman into your favorite podcast platform. If you've enjoyed our content and have a minute, please, 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 we greatly appreciate testimonials, reviews on any of the platforms, as well as referrals to friends and family. This is how this podcast spreads to more people. It's the only way. And um, we greatly, greatly appreciate all of your support. We have some exciting things in store for the remainder of 2022, including two Ask Me Anything episodes coming up next. And um, as always, we're just thrilled to be along for the ride with you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>